This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns, Alex is going to be answering the phone. He only needs your first name and where you're calling from, not what you're calling about. He doesn't know a darn thing about plants. He doesn't care. (laughs) No, he really cares. He just doesn't care about plants in particular. So what a spectacular morning, don't you? Yeah, looks beautiful. I don't want to have to go outside here after the news and just kind of breathe it in a little bit. Yeah, not a cloud in the sky. Mm -hmm. You can actually see the moon. Too bad we missed the corn moon a couple days ago, the full moon. Yeah, yeah. But you can't have everything. No, and this is, now see, I'm going to be off. I'm taking next week off, and I'm going to spend the whole time cleaning up the garden, getting rid of the stuff that's got overgrown and, and the sunflowers. What are these sunflowers that, that they, I call them cupcake because they have little things on them that look like the cupcake wrappers, you know, they don't produce anything. <laughs> They're ugly. So after a year of beautiful sunflowers, I got these ugly sunflowers out in the garden. What the heck? Oh, are those late year sunflowers or something? Yeah, those are yeah. those are Kelly sunflowers. Hey, I do have one sunflower though that grew in the corner where the lattice has a corner, and he's like facing the corner. I don't know what he did, but apparently he got put in timeout. <laughs> so he had to turn. Yeah, it's this beautiful sunflower, and he's looking in the corner. You know, it's like uh, what? Uh, the other sunflowers. I guess put him in there. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, nature does some screwy things. Yes, it does. Well, enjoy. I will. You too. As folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. Do you have a specialty garden space that, oh, my tomatoes really didn't do so well this year, or my tomatoes were spectacular, or get those houseplants, not, you don't have to bring them in yet, but get them ready to start to you know, move towards the house because if they've been outside, you got to get them in, or it's best to get them in before it gets too cool. And uh, what is a potting mix? You want to transplant some things, your house plants as you bring them in? Don't do it this time of year. Just don't. Wait until next year as we head towards a growing season before you, let's say, transplant, put them in a bigger pot, or anything else. How about improving your garden space? How about shearing and pruning? And what are those bugs and those diseases? Use the information that I'll share with you. My thoughts are hopefully will help you solidify your options, but the final judgment is going to be on your shoulders. 
And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another, as I said before, a very, very important player in this game is Alex. He produces and he answers the phone. He does everything. All I do is stand here and blah, 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 blah. And he makes sure my blah, blah, blah gets out there. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to home, your home and do uh, landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. Today, after the show, I'm headed towards uh, Cabin Grove in Creve Core. And um, <laughs> this is a house I've been to for a long, long time. I did the original landscape design, I don't know how many years ago, a couple decades ago. But anyway, you can go to my MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Crickets, oh, the sound of crickets in the morning, I think, is spectacular. There is a pair of red buds on each side of the sort of short driveway. A chalk message somebody wrote, struggles shape you for your purpose. Cascading water in the background. There's urns with calcasia. They're kind of fancy schmancy elephant ear bulbs. And colorful annuals as well. The fountains, I read some information, fountain dates back to 1873 and was restored in 1975 and lit at that same time. Bald cypress knees kind of all over the place. There's some frogs jumping in water. There's bird feathers kind of all floating all over the place. It's kind of neat. And a Fitzer junipers and benches and elephant ears. I mean, giant elephant ears. I thought mine were big. <laughs> These make mine look like little baby elephant ears. Sweet gum trees all balled up. Three to four foot high yellow and maroon coleus were spiking their flowers. And caladiums and cannas and portulaca, miscanthus. And uh, the lawn was very wet this morning. So the morning dew, that was kind of great. And there was golden rain trees, which was all potted. So they've already finished flowering. Massive castor bean. This thing probably is 10 plus feet high. Birch trees with exfoliating bark. Clump bamboo. Boxwood up to nine feet high. Pink periwinkle. And uh, historic ruins recreated. Where is this Garden of Eden? Well, Targrove Park at the Grand Basin. The sky was so clear this morning you could see the moon. It was past definitely full. I don't know what, I guess they call that waning. There were some doll walkers meandering around. A weeping cherry was uh, not looking too bad for this time of year. There was piles of corn all over the place for all the ducks to have a snack. And the squirrels say, is this for ducks only? They say, no. This is for squirrels as well. There's some more urns with dark maroon sweet potato vines and more calocasia. Well, it looks like also in Tower Grove Park, the farmer's market is going on. So I thought that that would have been canceled, but there's all kinds of vendors and food trucks and everything else setting up tents and uh, quite the scene, needless to say. And wow, what a beautiful morning like I told Brian when I was coming in, I said, I really didn't even want to come down to the station. I just wanted to stay outside and maybe just talk really loud and somebody might be able to hear me. But anyway, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, what a perfect morning. You probably got your windows open, your doors open, and everything else, letting some of that fresh air in. And at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go to Elaine for the first call of the day. Hi, Elaine. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have two questions. Uh, the first one is we have a um, ivy bed, English ivy, that has been there probably for 40 years or so, and we're trying to remove this ivy and plant something else. So my question is, is there anything after pulling all that we possibly can that we can apply to the ground that would deter it from coming back? And to compound the problem, there is a Japanese maple in the center of this planting, and it, we have discovered, is surface-rooted. So trying to get the ivy out and not harm the tree is the challenge. Well, if you're, if you're just pulling the ivy, that's not going to hurt the Japanese maple. So okay. if you pull it underneath, even though you're seeing surface roots and everything else. But the unfortunate thing is we're getting near the end of the season where the herbicide's effectiveness is really going downhill. Once it, temperatures start dropping below 70, not only what it does is it slows the plants down. So that means they don't absorb the herbicides as fast and as well as they did prior to this. So probably what you're going to have to do is just get as much out as you possibly can. Don't put, you know, maybe put a, an inch or so of mulch over the area that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then next year, in other words, be patient. Wait until you start seeing some of the ivy come up. Then you can apply the herbicide at that time, something like Roundup that will systemically kill not only above-ground growth but below-ground growth, and take that as the next step. Okay. All right. Uh, Second quick question. I have a shrub rose that's in a large, like, 26-inch diameter wooden barrel. And do those types of roses, the shrub variety, ever get so many roots that they get root-bound in a barrel that large? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, that's pretty big. I can't say it's not possible, but I grew uh, knockout roses for multiple years in larger pots, and the only reason I got rid of them is because I got rose rosette. But uh, I had them probably, I want to say maybe eight or eight years or so in those pots. So, you know, I think you should be fine. Great. Thank you so very much for your help. Well, sure. My pleasure. Bye now. Yes. And, yeah, it's for anybody, when we get to this time of year, the herbicide's effectiveness is really starts going downhill. Now, the other, the one that doesn't necessarily, if you had put the pre-emergent down last month, at the end of last month, or you can still got an opportunity to do it now, but we're almost getting to the point where the sort of the cool season weeds have already started to germinate, then the pre-emergent has no effect whatsoever. So just realize that as the days get shorter, the temperatures drop. Now, today is supposed to be pretty warm, but next week we're really getting into the cool temperatures Applying herbicides is kind of a waste of time and money, mental money and real money both. So now let's head over to Overland, or up to Overland, and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Mike, I have grown a lot of flowers, but this year I decided to try and grow tomatoes. And my husband built me this wonderfully high, elevated uh, planting area, like four feet by three feet, and I put several 
tomato plants in there. Now, what I didn't realize was I thought that there was much more hours of sun in this spot that really are. So instead of getting six or eight hours of sun, I'm probably only getting four. And I've got wonderful green tomatoes, but I don't have any red ones. And I was wondering... Is there anything I can do to salvage this problem? <laughs> this time, this late in the year, no. No. And basically, uh, you know, if you're getting the green tomatoes, and they're probably, uh, I don't know what type of tomatoes are you growing. Are you growing heirlooms? Are you growing cherry? Yes, yeah, some uh, cherry, some heirlooms, some better boys, uh, some Roma. Yeah, but, you know, with the, the la- let's say the lack of sunlight, what it does is it just slowed the whole process down where the tomatoes, you know, would set, actually put the flowers out, then the fruit would get set. So you just slowed everything down, and so you're not really ever going to get anything off of them this year. Is there anything I can do with the green tomatoes to make them red? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's red paint. No, there is (laughs) (laughs) no. Because somebody had mentioned, like, putting them in a, in a, a paper bag and letting them sit in a gas exchange occurs. Yeah, you could try that, but if these are really green and f- kind of young, that's not going to happen. Usually, I that see. happens when they're already starting to turn reddish, and so you're just you're accelerating the process. But if they're green, green, I don't think it's going to do anything. You're going to open that bag up after a couple weeks, and you're going to go, oh. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. I've learned a lot, and I'll hopefully do better next year. (laughs) Well, good luck. Thank you. Sure. Goodbye. And now let's head to Swansea and Anita. How are you? Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Hi. uh, I called you a couple weeks ago um, about uh, I had my yard. Well, my son did it. He defatched it, and then I had it aerated and put the grass seed down. Now, yeah, and you mentioned uh, putting compost on top. Now I'm going to get out the mill stuff to get some um, uh, to get some compost, but I don't know how much I'm going to have to need to put down. Well, it's tough to say. Just if you know how big your yard is, just tell them, and you only want to put about a quarter to a half inch of compost on top of the surface. And this, you know, how long ago was the seed put down? Thursday, this past Thursday. Okay, so it's it hasn't germinated yet. No, no. Okay. It's just two days. Right. So basically, you know, just kind of guess at how big the area is. Tell them, and they'll let you know how much you need. Okay, about a quarter inch or a half inch. Right. That's all. You're just doing a top dressing. So in other words, you're kind of putting makeup on the ground. But what you're really doing is allowing that compost to fall down into the holes from the core aeration. And you're mm-hmm. feeding your soil, and that will help make your lawn better and healthier. Okay. Uh, let me ask you something else. What, well, oh, yeah. Can I put uh, down the uh, uh, the starter uh, fertilizer? Uh, you know, you can buy that stuff that's for starter seeds and stuff. Right. Can I put, should I put that down? Uh, you can. You know, you don't necessarily have to do it, but... Uh, you know, if you're going to do it, I would probably put that down first and then put the compost on top of that and then water it. Okay, okay. All right, well, you know what? I'm glad I called you because I thought 
you said to put two inches of, of, of um, no. compost on top. <laughs> I thought, and how do, what do we do, just throw it on there or what? Well, I mean, some people, it, you know, compost is going to have big lumpy stuff in it. So, yes, that's the best thing. Just throw it out. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if you use a spreader and stuff, that's, you know, you're going to be aggravated by that. Yeah, I know, because I got a lot of... Anyway, I dug up a lot of weeds and stuff. I got a lot of mud. <laughs> no. Okay, kiddo. All Thank right. you so much. Well, yeah, good luck with this. And if you've got a you know a thin lawn, plan on every September and every May for the next couple of years of doing some overseeding. That will be to yeah, the Yeah, I'm going to have to because right. I had a lot of um, crabgrass from my neighbors and from the birds and everybody right. else. And um, I, I dug it all up, and it just, uh, my yard is just a mess. <laughs> yeah, crabgrass is prolific this year. Yeah, it's awful. Okay, kid, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's see, where should we go? Let's go over to Brian's. Hi, Brian. Hey, Mike, how are you? Very good. Uh, I'm planting two peonies this year in the spring, and they're, they get a lot of afternoon sun. And the bedding is rock uh, cover, not mulch. And they're terrible. They just wilted on me. Um, I have no idea what I did wrong. Probably just a bad spot. If this soil, they really like a really deep, rich soil. Okay. And and it takes them a couple years to get established. So, I mean, that's a factor as well. So the root system probably never even advanced out to be able to put out any feeder roots so they could absorb any moisture if there was some there. So that just sounds like a horrible place to grow them. Yeah, that's what I thought. I did when I dug them up. I did put garden soil and that in there at their base, but I don't think it's going to be, it was deep enough. Yeah, I mean, you so, got to go, I mean, they need a really rich area to do well. They just don't. And do they need a lot of sun? They would prefer full sun all day long every day, yes. Okay, I might have to do something about that then. My other question is, uh, I have a creek in my back, and uh, a cardinal bush or cardinal flower sprung up. Oh. I never saw one before. Right. Is there any way I can get seeds from that and try and get it closer to my in, into my yard? Uh, just watch it. You know, you'll have to w- wait until the seeds form and then wait till next spring to put the seed out. Or just let the seed drop where it is and then watch next year if you can wherever this is you know wherever the seeds have dropped and for you know sprouting seeds and then dig those up as young transplants okay and if i don't can i get the seeds when they drop and and keep them where if i I do where would i store those i would before they drop i would you know i would collect them off the vines okay that's a much easier way to do it and how would I store those? Uh, just in a paper bag. Okay, in a dry, like in the house. Then. Exactly right. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, you got questions, concerns, or comments? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Dick's yard and see what's going on there. Hi, Dick. Oops, Dick, you hung up just as I was. Sorry. And let's go down to St. Genevieve then and go into Kent's yard. Hi, Kent. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go up to Julie then. Julie, how are you? Hi. 
Mike, I I have a couple of questions. I just last week I put in some new plants, three wydelas and one uh, small hydrangea. I think I mean hydrangea. Uh, do I do I need to keep watering those every single night as the weather gets cooler? I'm worried that I'm going to drown them. Yes, that would be my concern, too. So, no, you don't have to water every day. The first few days, you know, you should water just to make sure they're well hydrated. After that, kind of just use your common sense with it and maybe every couple days and do that for a couple weeks and then no more extra additional watering because sooner or later we're going to have rain, I'm assuming. We hope. Yes. Right. Second question is... I have a small area that I need to plant something in, but it's it's going to be totally in shade or pretty much in shade. And I wondered if you could suggest something that would be a good thing to plant there. Are you looking for perennials? Are you looking for shrubs? Are you looking for what? Perennials, something that will flower, something that will be pretty. Um. You know, more or less, in reality, the shade plants, as far as perennials go, they have a really limited bloom time, regardless of which one that you choose. So if you get the spring bloomers, like the trilliums or things along that line, they're only going to bloom for a couple of weeks, and then that's it. And so probably I would, you know, take a look at the hosta and maybe get some hosta with, uh, you know, nice, colorful foliage. Some will have some oh, yellow. Okay. Some will Good have idea. Some- Good idea. Some some okay. white and things along that line. That would be probably my recommendation. And maybe add a little spice to it with a Japanese painted fern because their fronds are going to be silverish with some maroon tint. Oh, okay. Let me write that down. I get a little forgetful. Okay, Mike, thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. So, again, Japanese painted fern with a couple different varieties. And get the larger leaf variety of Hasa. Don't get those little leaf ones. Okay, great. Thank you, Mike. Sure. And now let's head back to Dick's yard. Hi, Dick. Yeah, I keep getting disconnected here. Whoa. You hear me, Mike? Yes. Okay, I, Mike, I got an ash tree that's about 18 years old, and it's about 30 feet in height, and it's very wide, and I want to have it trimmed. When's the best time for an ash tree to be trimmed? Basically, any time through the winter. So once the foliage starts dropping off, then you can get it pruned at that time. Other okay. trees what don't. About, what about uh, a chandelier pear? Can that be trimmed at the same time or what? Uh, well, are you chandelier pear? I don't know. Is that a flowering pear or is that one that produces fruit? No, it's like a Bradford pear. Okay. You know. So basically, if you prune it, I would probably with that, I would wait until right after a flower, so you can take advantage of seeing the flowers. You know, all you know in the springtime, and then get it pruned at that time. Oh, it's trim that in the spring rather than the fall. Right after it finishes flowering. And the well, only re- the reason I'm saying that, you can prune it in the fall. It's just by pruning it, you're sort of reducing the amount of flowers you're going to see next spring. Well, there's never any flowers on it. Really? It's just a, it's a tree about 40 feet high, you know. Whoa. Yeah. It, I told it was a Pradford, you know, but they say a chandelier pear. He said it, uh, it just has small little fruit on it. It don't uh, have anything more than a little, little round 
balls. You well, know? if it has a little round balls, it had to have flowers first because those flowers had to be okay. pollinated. Okay, in, in the spring when it's re-flowery. Okay, right. I got you now. I remember now. It's all right. white flowers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. And another thing, one of my ash trees died, and from the stump that uh, was cut down, uh, there's a shoot coming out. It's four foot high now. Would that be, actually be a tree again or not? Yeah, in about uh, 60 years. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it, it grew from a small, about four foot. I mean, it's four foot tall right now. Right. You know, it's, I'm, I'm bracing it up so you know, see what's going to happen with it. Right. You can pass it on to a couple of generations. But that's an, also an ash tree, right. you know. And I know there's trouble with the ash because of the virus or something. They're yeah, not virus. Or yeah, the boars, but mine's healthy. This one that I want to have trimmed, so I should do that in the fall of the year when the leaves drop. Yeah, any time after the leaves drop before the new growth begins in the spring. Okay, Mike. Well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah. And bye. now let's go to down to St. Genevieve into Kent's yard. Hi, Kent. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, let's switch to red buds. Okay. I have found a couple of trees with a bunch of uh, seed pods on it, and uh, it's got a lot of seedlings underneath it. I want to transplant a bunch of the seedlings and start uh, some trees from the seed. Could you help me out? Uh, basically, just it's going to be a roll of the dice as far as uh, if you want to dig them up and transplant them, go ahead and do that. Just have the area that you're moving them to. My tendency would be if you're going to dig, you know, dig some plants up, I'd have some pots with some potting mix in it, and I'd grow them in the pots for a couple of years rather than putting them straight into the ground. So, and okay. then, then gathering the seeds, you know, off the tree, I would wait until the seeds are really dark color, maybe even like midwinter, and go out and collect them then because they generally don't drop the seeds in the fall. They drop them in, let's say, late winter, early spring. Okay, and what size pots would a five-gallon bucket with some holes in it be? Uh, you could do up? that, or you could put like three or four of the seedlings in a one-gallon. A one-gallon, three-fourths it. Yeah, Great. seedlings, because, I mean, they're really small, I'm assuming, so it's not like uh, they're multiple feet. Uh, the uh, seedlings, the, the little plants are about a foot tall. Okay, so I would still say... Go ahead. That means they've got pretty substantial root system. So make sure you get as much water the area if you can first before you dig them up, so you can get as much of the root system as you possibly can. In uh, say October. Uh, yeah, sometime after, let's say the foliage starts falling off. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Hey, Mike, thank you for your help. Sure, my Have pleasure. A wonderful day. You do the very same thing. And now let's Bye. head over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hello, good morning. Hi. Um, I have a question. How best can I germinate a Bing cherry seed? <laughs> I've tried putting them in a little container with some potting soil, watering it, nothing. Right. I don't think you're going to be able to germinate a Bing cherry seed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bing cherries don't grow here anyway, so even well, if you know, got but... it to germinate, you moved it outside, it's going to die. Well, I would. my mom used to do the avocado seeds. Right. Well, that's a little different, and you can't grow avocados outside here anyway. Either. No, it's a, and we've this, we've had these plants for about forty-five years. Really? Yeah, right. Those avocado seeds that right. my, my mom started—they're not very big, and you know—but they're just kind of a fun little 
thing to have. And I thought I'd try to do it with the cherry seeds, too. Yeah, probably a cherry. They need to go through a, like a cold spell. The Bing cherries, I think, are only grown in one or two different places, maybe the state Washington. of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're states. trying to duplicate what they have there. And I'm not even sure they even the growers grow them from seed. I think they probably grow them from cuttings. Oh, okay. Huh. So they're just annoying little seed in the center of a delicious fruit, and they're really not, not good for anything then, huh? No. <laughs> oh, <heaven. laughs> Maybe okay. to throw at a squirrel or something. <laughs> okay, thanks for your help. Sure. And let's go now to Redbud, Illinois, I'm assuming, and into Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Everyone's calling about their green tomatoes. <laughs> put, them, put them in a brown paper bag and put them on the windowsill. And in about a week's time, they will be perfectly red. All right. Sounds good. Uh, we were... we picked ours at the end of the year and we were still getting tomatoes in the mid-november wow just in the brown paper bag sounds perfect because you know i the the people that have called theirs are so green i don't even even if they're super green are they going to turn yes sir really all right yes sir so i was wrong they they may not be as juicy but you'll have red tomatoes, okay. you know, almost like the hothouse tomatoes you get in early. Oh, yeah, right. You know, at the grocery store in right. early in the year. But at, the other one is the guy called in about his cardinal flower. You can go to your local nursery and get a pack for $1.29. <laughs> <That's laughs> Instead of trying quite to true. seeds and everything. <laughs> and I, I planted one uh, this summer. My question is, it only started blooming about two weeks ago. Right. I didn't have any a beautiful fern leaf. Right. But but no flowers. So it's are they late bloomers or? Yeah, I think it's a long involved process with them. It's kind of like the morning glory and the moonflower. You have to like it's sixty to ninety days after you plant. You know, before you're okay. going to get any flowers off of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about what it took. About about 90 days. Right. Uh, all right. One question for me. Clay pots with salt stains. Uh, so you could, you, basically, you're trying to clean them up? Is that trying to get the salt right. off? Get that, get that salt line off of them. I uh, use vinegar. Okay. Just put them in a bucket of vinegar and let them soak. Right. Exactly. You'd be surprised okay. how quick vinegar will get rid of it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm done. Okay, thanks great. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks, Paul, and thanks for the insight on the tomatoes, totally green tomatoes, paper bag in a window. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Let's head over to Jenny's yard. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Mike. My daughter has a five-year-old flowering plum tree. It's about 12 foot tall, I think. This year, though, in the past couple months, the leaves have been turning brown and falling out off, and a couple of limbs have turned brown. It's not the whole tree, and right. she's had fruit on it for two years. But um, I had her look at the bottom of the leaves to see if anything was eating on it, and she couldn't find anything. Uh, do you have a suggestion? It's weather. So there's not this too much you can do. Year? Yeah, some you know some years. 
I mean, the purple leaf plum, you know, flowering plum or fruiting plum. They, this mm-hmm. is not this is not the ideal area for them to grow. Okay. And so, consequently, they are very prone to like you know when the weather's not exactly what they want or like, they can defoliate, turn brown, or whatever you want to you know whatever the leaf happens. And then mm-hmm. with the you know with the plums, I mean, having five year old having a branch or two die, that's kind of what you could expect. Okay. Will it come back? Uh. Th- well, should I mean if should she cut them off? Yeah, anything that's dead, basically, or where the you know, tell her to take her fingernail or thumbnail, scrape the underside of the bark of the branch that she thinks is dead. If it's still green mm-hmm. underneath, then leave it alone. If it's not green, then go ahead and prune it off and make only leave a stub of of about a quarter inch. A quarter inch. Right. Okay. Alrighty. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, the purple mm-hmm. plums. You know, whether you're talking about Ones that may produce fruit or ones that, uh, you know, generally they're sold as a flowering tree more so than a fruiting tree. That doesn't mean they won't produce fruit, but they have a limited life of about, you know, once you get past 10 years old, then they start going downhill. They don't recover from that. So let's head over to Marie's yard. Hi, Marie. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm in Cedar Hill, Missouri, uh-huh. and I have a 60-year-old oak tree, approximately. It was My house is built in 1955, so I'm assuming the tree was there when it was built. Um, just the other day, about 30 feet up, a huge, huge branch has come down in my yard. Now, at about 30 feet, it spikes out into like five fingers, as it were, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest one that came down. I'm just concerned about the integrity of the rest of the tree because it did tear a huge chunk out of the trunk. Yeah, if you got an open wound like that, then you've got an op- you know, a circumstance which could be kind of bad from the situation where water will run down the trunk and could get into this open wound area and something along that line. Also, there's you know, there's oak wilt, there's other things that might get in there. Also, so if you really want to, maybe have a tree service come out and take a look and see what they advise. Oh, I'm going to have that done, but I was just, um, get, you know, I'm getting bids and just for my own knowledge as to what questions to ask them, right. is there something they can treat that with so that I don't have to remove the whole tree? Uh, you should, they should be able to take, you know, take a look at it. But I mean, as far as pruning sealers, those are totally ineffective anymore because way back when they had lead in them and that would stop any kind of bacteria problems. But right. mainly it'd be a cosmetic thing where... They would prune it so it would minimize the chances or the opportunity where there could be problems. Oh, okay. And also, when I moved in about six years ago, I planted Colorado blue spruce trees. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering when the best time to fertilize them is. Uh, basically, coming out of winter time would be the ideal time, or let's say midwinter, and that way the fertilizer will be there. It'll be sort of like diluted, melted. And then we'd be out where the root systems are. And the feeder roots are going to be kind of at the drip line. So Right, and fertilize. it's kind of on a hill, so it's down the slope. So Yeah, right. So that's where you want to put the fertilizer. And you want to okay. do a fertilizer with an acid base to it. Acid base. Right. And one real quick question, if I could. Yeah, go ahead. I also planted an umbrella Japanese maple in my front yard, and it's been beautiful the last couple of years, but now it's about four foot tall, three foot tall. Now it's starting to grow. I know it's spruced on, uh, spliced onto another uh, Japanese maple, so the green portion is growing out of it this year. Right. Uh, can I prune that off yeah, later in the year? Yeah, cut that off or? for sure. 
and do prune that. it off in the fall. Yeah, no, you really with the maples, you want to prune as we're in summertime is a better time to do it. So should I do it now? Uh, yeah. I mean, we still have another two weeks of summer. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'll take care of it now. Thank yeah. you so much, Mike. I appreciate your program and listening for years. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. And I don't think we're going to be able to get another call in. We make it too tight. So Norma, Jean, Carol, Nick, Roger, and Debbie, just hang on there. We'll come back after the news, and you will be the first people we talk to. And again, I'm going to reemphasize the fact that as the weather gets cooler, the effectiveness of herbicides goes downhill very, very fast. And the cool season weeds that are germinating now, the pre-emergence you should have put down in August, I've seen some little tiny pieces of henbit and things like that. That's one of the cool season weeds. They grow, they germinate in August, early September, and then grow all winter long and then explode as we come out of, uh, let's say, the end of the year, early next year, and then start dropping seeds again. And the crabgrass this year has been prolific. I've not seen it so dramatically. I mean, it's the one that has like the spikes of flowers coming out of it, like flowers you wouldn't even recognize. So it's totally wild and crazy, but that's how every year here is when it comes to plant material. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, this is the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, you're wearing a coat. It's cold in there. <laughs> it, the newsroom, it's so cold that by the time the weekend's over, my fingers, I can't type anymore. And that's not even the coldest. The coldest is this room right here, yeah. the producer's room. It's They open the door in there to let the cold air from the newsroom warm them up. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> that happens in radio stations. I'm not sure why. But there's <laughs> always keep a... keep everybody yeah. cool. I guess, the you know, they keep, excuse me, they keep all the equipment cool. Right. And maybe that. I don't know. I don't know why, but I worked at other places where it's always cold. Really? Yeah. Just curious. Well, it slows the aging process, so I guess that's okay. <laughs> you look very young. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> if you ignore the gray. <laughs> thanks, Brian. Sure. Yes, folks, and thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares for us, ups and downs. Your annuals, annuals are still looking good. We probably got another month maybe five weeks of uh, really good-looking annuals. This cool season bulbs now. Also, if you ordered some or you're planning on getting some daffodils, tulips, grape hyacinths, speaking of grape hyacinths, if you have grape hyacinths in your landscape, they produce foliage this time of year. So if you start seeing sort of like narrow leaves coming up out of the ground, you go, what is that? And then you realize, oh, that's where the grape hyacinths are planted. How about the edibles, the ground covers, the house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is producing, so he will be answering the phone, just your first name and where you're calling from. During the week and sometimes on the weekends, I do walk and talks, which is a landscape consultation. You go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. 
that's where my email and phone number is and where you can contact me. And I'll come to your home and share 40-plus years' experience related to the outdoors. Landscapes, care, maintenance, plant material, all that other stuff. Today after the show, I'm headed out to Creve Corps. Tip of the trial is special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This is a time of year where the St. Nicholas Greek Festival, St. Nicholas is a Greek church in West County on South Outer 40 Road. And historically, they've had food, and Tracy's actually had a booth there where she sells her jewelry. They've had to get rid of all the booths, but they're having carryout food. We already got ours ordered, so St. Nicholas Greek Festival. Sorry, the festival, yeah, it's got food, and the food is very good, so they get a tip of the trowel. Also, the St. Louis Art Museum. This past Thursday, we went and saw the Millet or Millet. Speaking of that, that name, M-I-L-L-E-T, Debbie Monterey's husband's name is Steve Millet. I wonder if he's related to this French artist, Millet, you know, just slightly different pronunciation. But that, that from Millet to Dali, that art exhibit was show what kind of impact this guy, this Malay guy was from a very wealthy family, they, you know, from a farm rural situation, and he just took artwork and he had made a huge impact on several different people from Van Gogh, various other places. But unfortunately, this is going to be over on the 7th, and I don't think there's any more opportunity for anybody to go see it. So we made our reservations, uh, you know, online, through the Metro ticks, and we thought, you know, we made them for 11 o'clock, and I we didn't really understand. We got there at 11. No, you can't go in now. And we didn't really understand because below, uh, sort of the information thing says seating at 11.30. I thought, what does that mean? We're not going to be sitting down. But what that meant is that's when we get to go in. So we got there a little bit early. So we got to wander around the art museum, so it was fun. So anyway, St. Louis Art Museum, Great exhibit, and uh, uh, um, this Malay, this French guy, I never even heard of him before, but I never realized what an impact he had on so many different artists of that era. So anyway, uh, they get the tip of the trowel, too. So St. Nicholas Greek Festival, only it's just food this year, and the art museum for their display. Let's take a couple calls before we go to break. Let's go over to Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Uh, good morning, Mike, and thank you for um, having me on your show and you, for you being on my show. Sure. <laughs> I'm glad the gentleman called earlier about the ash tree. I have an ash tree that um, is 17 years old. It's been treated for emerald ash borer every year for like the last eight years or whatever. But when I look up inside the tree, it looks kind of hollow, like branches, just branches with not a whole lot of leaves on it. And it's been dropping a lot of twigs and leaves, like dead leaves and tiny pieces of branches. I wonder if it's if it's ill and needs to come down, or do you have any thoughts on it? No, it sounds fine. I mean, when you look up in the trees, you know, the near the inside of the trees, you're never going to have leaves there. You okay. know, as trees mature, because there's no there's no sunlight, so it's mainly on the perimeter, on regardless of the type of the tree. And okay. all trees are going to drop twigs. And this year, with our screwball weather, a lot of trees, 
you know, are dropping leaves prematurely. Some of them, like quite a few leaves, it's really kind of yeah, striking. Yeah, mine's been a whole lot. Yeah. And uh, to the extent that I'm afraid for my grass under it, that it's not getting sunlight. <laughs> so, okay, well, I'll, I'll give it another. I'm not going to condemn it yet. No, I'll it's give probably it another fine. Year. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know. Hey, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Norma's. Hi, Norma. Hello, Norma. Norma. Oops. Let's go to Gene's, and he lives in Murfreesboro. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have six, I built six uh, raised beds. I took my pickup truck to my local garden area to get bulk compost and garden soil uh-huh. or topsoil. And I said, uh, I want to. I want a big scoop of mushroom compost and topsoil. They said, well, we recommend 50-50 ratio. What's your opinion of 50-50 ratio? Um, You know, a blend of, you know, 30, 50-50 is fine. You know, just so you blend, that's what's really crucial. They they mixed it up really good for me. Well, perfect. Uh, Put it out on the concrete, scoop it up, drop it, scoop it up, drop it. but I wasn't sure of the numbers. So 50-50 you like. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you for your show, sir. Sure. It's well, not my show. You. It's your show. Yeah. <laughs> and we love it every Saturday. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And now let's go to Roger before we take a break. Hi, Roger. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, trying to figure out the proper balance between pre-emergent and broadleaf weed killers and like my gravel driveway and my peony beds. Um, I just get overrun with weeds thanks to my neighbors. But, uh, yeah, I know pre-emergent in the spring and the fall, but, man, spurge comes up every week and just wondering what you recommend. Well, spurge, you can kill that with a pre-emergent because that's an annual weed that's, you know, self, it drops a seed and then comes back. Or else you can just go after it with, like you said, a broadleaf weed killer. Well, you know, if I do a roundup on a Saturday, by the following Sunday, I got more spurge growing. So, yeah, I got to use the pre-emergent, but I could use roundup once a week, and I don't want to do that. Right. There's not. I mean, there's not really, you can use a weed be gone, but the roundup's going to be the most effective. Okay, is it... Uh, too late for fall pre-emergent, or can I get it out this week? Uh, we're really kind of getting to, you know towards the end of the time. If you've got it available and you want to get it down ASAP, you could do it because you're going to kill some things that are a little bit later as far as germinating. But most of the germinating, the cool season weeds, have already germinated. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't even cut my peonies back because they're still green. Right. And that's part of the area where I want to use the pre-emergent. So, well, that should, that has no impact on your peonies. Pre-emergent strictly No, it doesn't, on... but it's hard to get all the ground because my peonies are pretty big and oh, spread out. right. Well, you can cut your peonies back. I mean, even if they don't have the powdery mildew or anything else that, you know, they normally get. So cutting them back this, you know, this late in the season shouldn't be problematic. Well, I usually cut them at the end of August when they start wilting, but they're still green. Well, you can leave them if you want, or you can go ahead and cut them if you want. Okay. Thank you for your advice. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Okay, the cool season annual weeds that you would have get basically eliminated by putting the pre-emergent down mid to late August include henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, speedwell, a Persian speedwell, and a couple other you know plants as well. And then, you know, that's the one for this time of year that you put down to get rid of them. And then next year, basically at, when the forsythia is in bloom, that's when you go after the warm season weeds. So there's two different kinds of weeds. I mean, that's, that's what it is. That's reality. Let's go now to, uh, let's, where should we go? Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Hey, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Thank you. Okay. I have a tree that's about eight foot around. Well, the whole thing. Okay. Not the tree. But I've got flocks underneath there. Every year, that flock is gorgeous. It was gorgeous this spring. Right. Gorgeous. It always stays green, Mike. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's turning totally brown. Ooh. That's not Did a good sign. It? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, should I just pull it and start over or start do something else? Well, yeah, stays. probably do something else because... If you've had it there for a long time and it's done well, then with this year, with the you know proximity to the tree trunk and everything else, I mean, if it's turned brown, I don't. It, it's not going to be able to recover. Yeah, it's turned. It's turning brown. There's yeah. a little green, but uh, I said I was like, it's oh so ugly, and <laughs> trees probably about two foot around it maybe, and then the ring around it, it's about an eight foot diameter. Right. And, uh, so, okay, I'll just rip it up. <laughs> yeah, you could either that, either do that or wait until next spring and then go ahead and see if it does recover, which I don't think it will, and see if you're going to get any flowers off of it at all and then plant in the spring. But, uh, you know, pr- you could certainly do it, you know, just go ahead and get it out of there because if it's turning brown, it's headed downhill. Yeah, you, would you suggest the same thing you said to that lady while ago about the uh – the hostas. The hostas and the Japanese painted fern. Also, right. there's like the coral bells that have purple leaves. So I think their palace purple may be the variety. They look pretty good, and they're good shade-tolerant type plants as well. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike. I enjoy the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. you. Certainly yeah, my have pleasure. Have a good day. Okay. And now let's head over to Scott's yard. Hi, Scott. Hello. Hi. Yes. Hey, um, I'm just curious. Um, if you had to take a Japanese maple, uh, I've got a small area and I'm wanting to plant a Japanese maple in that small area. Uh, but it's not really going to get any, I don't want to say North sun. It's going to get more of a, it's more on the South, I guess. Was that, was that going to grow or is that going to survive? Well, which, I mean, there's several different varieties of Japanese maple. Are you talking about the one that looks like right. an umbrella? Um, now, there's a uh, ornamental tree uh, you can buy. There's, there's different species. or so yes, many different right. species. So, right. So, uh, Some of them get very big tall-wise. Some of them get very big wide-wise and don't get very tall. Well, what what would be the best, I guess, to put there that you you mentioned that umbrella? Would that be 
good to put there or not? Well, it depends upon how big it is because the ones that look like umbrellas, when you buy them, they're pretty much going to be that height. They just get wider and wider and wider. So if this is something that's going to go out over your sidewalk or something like that, it could become problematic from that standpoint. It is by it is by it's between the 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 wall of the back of the house and the sidewalk. But I mean, is there a way to have a Japanese maple and keep it trimmed? Uh, that's a lot of work, and it's not going to be probably worth it. And you're not going to like it. So I would say, okay. look at you know, rather than looking at a tree, look at some of the ornamental shrubs like abelia, a b e l i a abelia. Edward Goucher, that's a shrub, evergreen shrub, flowers for multiple months, and its maximum right. height is going to be about three feet and about three feet wide. Okay. Okay. All right. And another thing is uh, right now the time of year it is, uh, is it good to fertilize or what fertilizer numbers should you put down? It's, we're talking about on your cool season lawn or on what? Uh, well, say fescue uh yeah this time of year i mean it's kind of cool at night right i mean so then you're definitely you're going to feed like the bluegrasses or fescues so i would just go to your favorite garden center and see what they sort of recommend for a winterizer type fertilizing sometimes there's a program like scott's scott's has one that you know have three different bags and just follow the sort of the routine Okay, I didn't know if triple 13 or triple 12. No, 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 don't use those. Those are strictly for yeah. agricultural product, agricultural crops. They're not for long-term growing things like grasses. So they're from oh, okay. like a one-season type thing. Oh, okay, stay away from them, huh? Right. Oh, is that always? I yep, mean, always pretty much. stay away from them? Yeah, I mean, unless okay. you've got a big field of wheat or corn or beets or something. No, I have. Uh, I try to raise fescue. or try to just grow fescue. Have a nice looking lawn. Right. So, it's like, well, what numbers of uh, fertilizer should we use? Yeah. So th- this time of year, you want to feed them basically the with a winterizer type fertilizer. So just go to your favorite garden center and tell them you want a winter winter riser. Okay. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, those uh, those triple numbers are just they're for agri- they were developed for agricultural circumstances. Let's go now to Marita. Yes. Hi. Hi. I have a um, large, beautiful. Um, it's it's a red oak tree. It's uh-huh. about thirty feet tall. It's twenty years old, and uh, on three sides is fine. But on on the south side, I'm getting some branches that have a kind of brown and orange leaves with a little, still a little bit of green on it. Um, is there something wrong with my red oak? Uh, basically not. As a side that's, let's say, not looking as good as the other three sides, is that a shaded side? Yes. So that's what's happening. So the, tre- the tree's not getting light on that side of the tree, so consequently... It's not going to be as healthy. Okay. Is there something I can help it with? Um, we live close to a um, large woods that belongs to another subdivision. So I, the, the trees back there, I really can't touch. Right. So nope. There's you just have to live with it. You know, with what happens. This is just nature. Oh. Okay. Okay. There's about twenty feet between. 
my tree and the wood line of the other. Yeah, uh, that's not very far. So the shadowing casting on that side of the tree, that's what's causing this problem. Okay. It it doesn't look too bad. It's just that it. Right. So just don't don't worry about it. This is just nature. The what's you you can expect. You you know when there's really shaded areas, you know like what you have. A lot of over time, that side probably will end up with basically hardly any leaves at all. Okay, there's not as many limbs on that side already. Yet. Right, that's exactly right. The tree's smart enough. Why put a limb out there? Because it's not going to get any light, and it's not going to help my overall health. So I'm not going to waste the strength to push out any kind of growth on that side. Okay. Okay. Well, well thank you very much because I was kind of curious. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go, and we're headed over to Sharon's. Hi, Sharon. Hello, Sharon. Yes, uh, we have a zoysia lawn, mm-hmm. uh, or had a zoysia lawn, I should say, and the front, uh, it was slow to come out of dormancy last year we do have a lawn service and uh i called them and said you know it doesn't look too good there's not well do we just need it's the rain or we need more rain and we need the heat it's not been hot enough so i waited a while and it didn't look much better then they came out and said well it's a fungus problem so we had it sprayed uh, two different times, a c- couple weeks apart. Anyway, the whole lawn is dead. It's just dead as a doornail. There's a few uh, green sprouts coming up just randomly here and there. We have had it dethatched, uh, and we just don't know what to do at this point. The The plan with them is to have it aerated and reseeded, but I don't think seeding at this time of the year, we wouldn't get enough establishment to not have a, a mudslide in the fall, uh, Looking, thinking about maybe sodding, and um, just wondered if you had any recommendations. Basically, whoever your lawn service is, they are terrible. So I That's hate to say I'm that, but... I'm to think. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean, if you're talking about putting zoysia seed down, hopefully no, you're not... I, gonna... I would go with fescue, because zoysia seed just doesn't, doesn't work, work well. Doesn't work, right. And it's too late in the year to put zoysia sod down. Right, because availability is going to be minimal. And then right. for it to be able to get established, if we have a quick cold winter snap, it could kill your sod off regardless of the type of sod you're putting down. So you got a very tough situation. If you wanted to, you know, I mean, if you're going to put seed down, you're going to have to do seed starter. You're going to have to have a sort of a program set up to get you to get this seed established well enough so it can make it through the wintertime. Even if, even if you use a fescue, which is a cool season-type lawn, it's still, you know, if it's too young, it's not going to be able to handle the cold whenever it comes. Do you think it's still too late or too late now to put fescue sod down? Well, I mean, it's fescue sod, probably no. 
but you're going to have to cut out all the zoysia sod stuff. You can't just lay it on top of the, where the zoysia was. Well, we're down to bare dirt in a lot of places, so I, if it was just aerated or, or, or uh, I don't know what, I guess we need to call a sod company or something. Yeah, they're going to have to turn that soil over before they lay the sod down. You can't just co-aerate and lay sod on top of this. Okay. It's okay. going to be a waste of money. All right, then we'll. Uh, that's what I was afraid of. The backyard looks beautiful. It. I. I don't understand the same treatment in the front and the back. The only thing we did different last year, they recommended desatching, and the front was really deep. Uh, it was hard to walk on because there was the grass was so thick. So we agreed just to have the front desatched, and it seems like that's the area that has died. Can you spread a fungus? And, and, and if we had a fungus in the front, wouldn't we have spread it in the back? Certainly. We were- I mean, that's not necessarily going to always happen, but it's certainly a, you know an option that could happen. So there was something else that went that sort of triggered the downhill slide for the front. Okay. Yeah, I think we're just in deep doo-doo here. So, okay, we'll go with the <laughs> fescue sod idea, and right. uh, thanks for your help. Sure. Yeah, I mean, but make sure they get that soil prepared and just don't lay that sod down because the chances of it getting well well established as far as root systems go before it gets cold is going to be a tough, tough circumstance. So get the soil prepared before you lay the sod down. Okay, we'll do this. Thank right. you very much. Certainly. Goodbye. And now let's head to Sparta and go to, into Nick's yard. Hi, Nick. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I got a question about peonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to transplant some from my folks' place, which uh, these uh, were transplanted uh, from my grandmother's place, and uh, that was in the late 50s. Now, they're still growing and and putting out flowers, you know, white peonies and pink ones, Mm -hmm. and they're beautiful. How do I transplant those and when? Uh, basically, probably going into wintertime, I don't know if I would do that, you know, because they're a little bit iffy. But yeah. I would. So you have an access, you can do it in the spring? Yes. Okay. Either you can, if you can get it done within the next week or two, get it done now. But make sure what you do is you water the peonies really well before you dig them up. Dig up the entire root ball where all the stems are coming up. You can cut all that foliage off right now. Then what? when you first dig them up, the peony roots are going to be really brittle, almost like sticks. But yeah. once they're exposed to air for a little, you know, for a day or two, then they'll get more supple. Then that's when you would transplant them into the hole, into, into your yard. Okay. They'll soften after a day. Yeah, so about two, yeah, a day or two, you water them first, dig them up, just leave them, you know, on a, in a paper bag or something like that. I'm, they're probably going to be pretty heavy if they're that old. And then consequently, move them to your home, then wait for a day or so before you put them in the ground. Then make sure that the top of the root ball of the peony is higher than the surrounding ground. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, and it kind of amazes me that those uh, these plants are uh, producing uh, flowers as old as they are. Well, I mean, you can go to Europe and see some peonies that are, like, really older than this that are still producing. Yeah. 
Well, my grandmother died in 59, and I think they sold the place in 60. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's old. Yeah, it, it, they are very old. So. So, okay, well, thank you very much, sure. and I enjoy listening to you. Well, thanks for having me on your show. But, oh. yeah, peonies, um, we kind of did the same thing. My great-grandmother had peonies. We brought some from, she lived down by Purcell, in other words, Joplin area. We brought some of the divisions up and had them planted on the side of my parents' house for years. And I think one of my brothers may have dug them up and moved them into his yard. But uh, they were probably kind of the same age you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Now let's go to Tim's yard. Hi, Tim. Hello. Hi. Uh, I have a quick question for you. I have two uh, tulip poplar trees in my yard, mm-hmm. uh, one in the front yard and that uh, shades my house really well, and then I have one in the backyard. Um, they both appear to have been put in place when the house was built in about 1963-ish. Um, they are dropping leaves as if it's October, late October right now. I mean, I have leaves everywhere, and nobody else anywhere has. <laughs> We've got, I've got an oak tree. And there's maple trees all around me. There's uh, the the uh, oh the the crazy um, um, trees that have the, the gumball trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweet you know, gums. All all of them are yeah. They're they're all very healthy and stuff. Uh, is there? Can you can you help with this? Because I've got. Uh, my mulching mower is going to get a heck of a workout coming up here. <laughs> well, certain trees are dropping leaves. Unbelievable. The tulip poplar, you know, is one of the trees. Sycamores is another tree. That Both those trees right now are dropping a huge amount of leaves, and it's all just related to weather. There's nothing you can do that's going to make any difference. Um, I've, I've seen it. Uh, I used to live in an apartment complex, and they put a bunch of different trees out there, and a bunch of the trees decided to drop their leaves because it was uh, so dry. Right. Uh, would watering these trees uh, help to slow this process down? Not or? really. Really? Okay. I mean, it's, I mean, they're they're mature trees. They're 50, 45, 50 foot tall. Right. You know, they're, they've been around for a while. Yeah. So. so, yeah, I mean, the amount of watering you could do is not going to make that much difference. They have plenty of water. You know, up until this point, and now it's been, you know, dry, so they're just dropping the leaves. And if this was in May and they were dropping this amount of leaves, I'd worry. But since this is September, I wouldn't worry. Okay, so there's nothing uh, uh, serious with the health of the trees themselves. They're not going to be drying up and uh, dropping branches on my roof or anything like that. (laughs) Well, uh, I can't assure you of that. But for well, the most part, uh, from you know, just, uh, you know uh, what you're saying is not the case. You know, I mean, that's that's a whole different subject there. But uh, right. But uh, yeah, they're they're not in the process of dying off. But uh, um, um, also, quickly, uh, what is the uh, lumber value for uh, these trees? Are thirty to thirty-two inches diameter. One's almost thirty-six diameter. Um, is there some lumber value for that poplar wood out of these trees, or is this just a, a kind of a shade tree? And yeah, I think I don't think there's any value to it, but I don't know that for sure. But I wouldn't know, you know, I Check I wouldn't know where yard. it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I wish that uh, wish there was something I could do other than just uh, wear out my lawnmower. But that's okay. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. At least you've uh, alleviated that uh, issue with me. Yeah. So, again, it's just certain trees are more impacted by certain types of weather. And, like I said, the sycamores and the tulip poplars are ones that are really impacted. So, anyway, thanks a lot. They're they're rather delicate to to some even short periods of uh, extreme heat. Right. Exactly. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Hello, is this Vorma? Hello? Uh, this is Donna. Oh, Hi. Donna. Hi. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I have blackberry bushes, uh-huh. domestic ones. I don't know what to do with them. I know they need pruned back. I don't know when or how. Uh, basically, this is the time of year when you when you want to prune them. Also, you want to cut all the way down to the ground the older canes because the older canes stop producing fruit. So if you have any canes that didn't produce any blackberries at all this year, just cut them down to the ground. Okay. Well, there's there's new growth coming out, and it's, I'm kind of trailing it in through the fence. So yeah, they they're. I mean, they've used runners, so they're. I mean, they colonize. So what should I do with all these long runners? Should uh, I just let them keep going? Well, you I mean, the runners, you, you'd have to go underneath the ground to stop them, you know, from migrating. There's no getting around it. If they're tall, you want to cut them back to about uh, three feet or so. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure. And now let's go to Sue, and she lives in Eureka. Hi, Sue. Uh, hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for the show. Sure. Um, is it possible to bring uh, elephant ears in and let them winter over winter, over over the winter? So, in other words, leave them in pots, let them grow inside as a house plant. Yeah, uh, you could try it. Uh, Success wise, I mean, they used to have them growing in the Climatron at the Botanical Garden. I don't know if they still have them in, you know, but they uh-huh. have that kind of thing. As far as in a regular home, try it. Then you can call back next year and say they really worked well. My guess is probably as the days get shorter and shorter and shorter, they're, even if you have them in front of a brightest possible window, they're uh-huh. going to go downhill. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I know they grow, you know, year-round down in Florida, and all, right. I just I just wondered if it would be possible. Yeah, I yeah I mean, a, you can, like I say, give it a try. Yeah, I've got a, a small one that I, that I bought this year, and uh, it would be small enough I could bring it in and and see what happens to it. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Bye. And now let's head over to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hello, Greg. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have several acres of prairie grass on my property, and there is some type of plant that is taking over. It's probably about two to three feet tall, has a couple of stems coming from the plant. It has real kind of small leaves, and it's in flower right now. And it's really thick to the point where it starts growing. Nothing can grow uh, in its footstep. I've tried burning the fields, and that doesn't seem to affect it. Is there anything you think I can do, and do you know what this possibly may be? What color is a flower? It's green. Oh, the flower's white. It's very small, too. So I would probably, you know, take a sample to your extension service and let them ID it for you. County, okay. I will University try that. of Missouri Extension Service. Okay. 
Yeah, it's it's taken over everything. And like I said, I tried to burn the fields, and that doesn't seem to affect it. Yeah, I really don't want to spray them all down. So yeah, bur- um, burning fields if it's a perennial type plant, which it sounds like it is, is not going to impact the root system whatsoever. Do you think if I mowed it bef- before it flowered, do you think that would affect it at all? If I not necessarily because it's coming back from the root system. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll take it up there. I was hoping I don't have to start spraying the whole fields, which kind of uh, is a purpose for having them, so I don't have to mow them and maintain them. Right. But that may not be the case. Right. Well, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And I don't think, Dennis, if you can do it really quickly. Okay, Mike, you got. Uh, I'm interested in uh, crepe myrtle bushes. Okay. Uh, uh, they are. Uh, they get cut by our management every every spring, and they only get about five feet tall then. And there have been years when we let them go, and they don't. And the wood is uh, doesn't come back for a long time. Uh, it, does it depend on how cold the winter is, or when should they be cut, or should they? Can you let them grow and and get tall? Well, you can let them grow, but if we have a severe winter, it's going to kill the woody aspect of it. So that's what you know. It's a a, a plant that's. Doesn't really like it here all that much. Doesn't start growing until the ground really gets warm. So there's not really too much you can do. So uh, if you're gonna, uh, if you are gonna cut them, when is the time you're supposed to cut them? Basically, any time after the leaves start falling off, uh, you know, in the fall, all the way up until the springtime when the new leaves start coming out of the stems. So uh, it, when would you know if the wood if they're gonna come back or not? Uh, you're just going to have to wait until you start seeing the new growth. Okay. If you don't need, if you don't see any growth by the end of May, does that mean they're not coming back? No, I would probably wait until mid-June. Mid-June. Yep. Okay, that's what I need to know. Okay. Okay, okay thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And, folks, I think that's going to do it. Ron, Jim, and Nick, we're not going to be able to get to you today. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.